everybody, welcome to the September 11th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. 14 years and two wars later, Patty Calhoun from Westward, where are we at this point? In limbo, still in limbo. I mean, just as a good example of how in limbo we are, we are still talking about what, what to do with Guantanamo. Once again, the idea of putting the prisoners from there once it's closed, which was promised eight years ago, seven years ago, uh, putting the prisoners in Florence, Colorado has been floated. I have to say, having just driven through Hardin, Montana, which volunteered years ago to take those prisoners, that's a better place for them. You can certainly see anyone escaping for about a thousand miles. I would certainly agree with that point. Mike Krause, the Independence Institute, thank you for joining us. Uh, 14 years seem to go by uh, very quickly, but we're obviously in a far different world than we were 14 years ago. Your thoughts? You know, it, it's amazing. It does feel like it went by really, really quick, because I actually remember that day very mm -hmm. well and uh, I, I'll, interestingly enough where uh, one of the things that's happened over the last 14 years is if you started to see we've started to kind of claw back from some of the initial overreach to the reaction to September 11th which at the time nobody wanted to call overreach because they were simply reacting uh, and now you see Rand Paul on the floor of the Senate uh, you know uh, uh, debating on uh, the Fourth Amendment with regard to the Patriot Act uh, you see uh, pushback against the Department of Homeland Security, which, interestingly enough, was supposed to streamline and make more effective our response to these kind of things, and instead has become this bizarrely Byzantine and, and uh, dysfunctional bureaucracy in a very short amount of time. Uh, and so what I think you're, we're seeing now is that uh, is some scaling back of some of the, the, the bigger overreach, uh, while at the same time keeping in mind the fact that, uh, you know, we need to go out and uh, one of the things that the United States has done pretty well is to go out and proactively kill and capture uh, outside our borders. Uh, but I think these anniversaries of September 11th are also an important time to remember that the, the biggest threat to the United States, the actual threat, while terrorists can kill, can murder, can cause damage, uh, the biggest threat to our freedoms is our own reaction to these events. Ed Seeler from the Denver Business Journal, uh, you're our, our man at the Capitol, so you know uh, the kind of politics thing. As you see the difference in politics here in Colorado uh, after 9-11, uh, what, what stands out to you? You know, I think there was an initial uh, questioning of exactly what the state's role in this was, and, and I think you continue to hear the echoes of 9-11, and even things uh, such as debates about the state's role in immigration uh, policy at this point. Um, but, but I think for the large part, I think people have backed off and unified around this is something that, uh, that brought us together, and we need to find some way to think of our policies uh, in, in, in the way that we thought of 9-11 as let's put our differences aside here for for just a second now I mean that really happens of course at the state capitol but it's uh, but it seems to be uh, an invoking of a national spirit a little bit and, and I, and I want to at least mention that I'm really glad to see that today we also have a visitor center at the site of crash uh, of uh, mm -hmm. flight 93 um, it's, it's wonderful that we have gotten on top of this and really will be able to add today's views of this disaster this tragedy uh, to visitors far into the future as they study this Long overdue. Uh, join us for the first time on the panel, uh, Miguel Baca Barragon. Thank you very much for joining us from uh, 760 AM, uh, the Weekend Wisdom host uh, yes. there. So thank you. Uh, wrap it up for us. 
You know, uh, to bring it all together, I think that when 9-11 happened 14 years ago, there was a unity that came across uh, politically and all across the aisle, along with communities uh, came together. Uh, I fear that maybe some of that has disappeared a little bit. Uh, there has been more home terrorism now. We're seeing things in our own neighborhood that we're not uh, viewing as part of a, uh, falling apart of our communities again. So uh, as we fear and we are taking, you know, drones actions across in other parts of the world uh, are we really being what the homeland security was was uh, designed to do and that was to bring it back at home and what what is uh, those that are now getting ready to vote you know they were only a couple years old back then so mm -hmm. when you're talking 14 years that's a whole generation sure sure at a congressional hearing this week EPA officials answered questions about how the gold king mine spill has been handled Committee members asked about a video recorded at the mine while the spill was happening, pointing to a comment from a worker saying, what do we do now? Patty, uh, now that comment, this was kind of odd about the video, that comment was in the original video, then omitted, and then the original video was put back on the website. So it's, it's kind of gone back and forth, but it's really pointed to a lot of, I guess, lasting questions with what's going on with the EPA and their response to the Gold King Mine. What do you think? Well, let's take a lesson from 9-11, which is when disasters hit, whether they're terrorist or a problem with one of our internal agencies, communication is key. So you have New Mexico not hearing about it from the EPA. You have the Navajo Nation not hearing about it from the EPA. So what do we do now? The first thing they should have done is probably notify people downstream of the spill. Uh, at that's, this is not the only funny thing with the EPA's handling afterwards and handling of its website where first they spilled some damning photos and videos, took them off, then they put them back on, and they're going to have to keep answering to Congress. This is just the first of many, many hearings about it. But they should also be answering to Colorado here. They're talking about how a waste treatment plant there, which would be needed to clean up the water, is going to cost $20 million. We had a waste treatment plant there back in 2003 when the mine, the previous owners of the mine fell down on paying for it, so it was passed over to Stan Ennis, who now has the next mine over, and just gave him the keys to the wastewater treatment plant, which he inherited. He said, get that back up and running and save some money. So we're going to find that the EPA needs to deal with what its responses are. The EPA needs to think about what we're doing, not with just this mine and the neighboring mines, but the thousands of mines in Colorado and across the West. And Colorado Health Department is going to have to really stay on the EPA for this. I don't know if we want to put it back into the Superfund's hands. Mike, I remember uh, your colleague, Amy Oliver Cook at the Institute, a part of her Twitter feed when this happened. Imagine if this, uh, what the reaction would be if this wasn't the EPA making all these different flaws, but if it was a private company or BP, something like that. What do you think? <clears throat> let's yes. Let's change the initials from EPA to BP, or pick your oil and gas company, or your, uh, and imagine the response. Uh, and if you look at the EPA's, and to be honest, I mean the EPA's response to this is somewhat reminiscent of the episode of The Simpsons where Homer inadvertently causes a meltdown at the uh, nuclear power reactor. Uh, it's a bit like a cartoon, uh, uh, not quite so entertaining. Um, certainly not for the people downstream, but. Um, it, this is a this is a, a should be a learning opportunity not just for the EPA but for the environmental movement who every time any private sector company that's in the business of extracting anything from the earth makes any kind of mistake they're trashed they're sued they're they they're just on them and there is no room for mistake and so all of a sudden you see the agency tasked with overseeing all these people all of a sudden realizing hey you know what 
Let, and let's assume for a minute the EPA is operating in good faith. Well, you know what? What that means is that sometimes accidents happen. And so hopefully this will be a learning opportunity, especially for the, the more radical version of the environmental movement who is desperately trying to deflect any blame away from the EPA uh, for this bill to say, hey, you know what? Sometimes things happen, and sometimes people operate in good faith. And you know what? Extracting things from the earth, which is vital to our, our vibrant society, sometimes accidents happen. Ed, while we're concentrating on federal officials right now and the government, all that role, I would imagine eventually this is going to become a bigger issue here locally, that the state legislature has to get involved because, as, as um, Patty pointed out, there's hundreds of mines with problems kind of like this. We have a lot of ticking bombs. This is part of our legacy here in Colorado. Do you think the legislature has the, I guess, the political will to tackle this next year? Whether it has the political will or not, let me tell you what it doesn't have, and that is the money to tackle this. These are not cheap uh, fixes here. I mean, we're talking about, uh, Patty mentioned the uh, the water cleansing plant out there. Uh, I mean, the Post had reported that the one that operates uh, in, in Idaho Springs, I believe, is about a $20 million uh, dollar, uh, proposal just to, just to get it started with, with another million a year uh, to keep a plant like that running. Um, the legislature may want to get involved here, but they simply don't have the funding to do this. And it's completely unrealistic. There have been some uh, ideas thrown out there that you have to go after the mine owners. Well, some of these mine owners have been dissolved from business for a 100 years now. So it's also unrealistic to think this can be something that is made up by private entities uh, alone. I mean, this has got to be something where, shudder to think, Democrats and Republicans in the state and federal governments have to sit down and talk about this. I mean, yeah, they, these are obviously problems. And, and, and it's interesting to see the, the number of congressional Democrats that say, well, uh, 11 times the amount that came out in this bill leak out of mines uh, every year in Colorado. Well, hey, maybe we should do something about that then. I mean, instead of just pointing fingers, which both sides are doing very well in Congress right now, I mean, maybe this is the time to sit down and say, okay, can we come up with a plan uh, to, uh, to find funding to, if not right away, at least slowly go after them? Kind of like we go after roads and bridges. Identify the ones that have the most potential for being a problem and hit those over a 20, a 30-year period. Um, do I have faith that that's going to happen? Not a ton, but it would be really nice to see someone toss those ideas instead of just tossing accusations. I, I can't believe you would bring that cynical point of view to this table. I mean, <laughs> gosh, I mean, a, a, a little respect for the CIO table here. Uh, Miguel, what do you want to see from the EPA at this point? We've seen a variety of follies back and forth. What do you want to see from officials right now? I'll tell you what, I have to agree with that. Uh, looking at history and seeing uh, what has happened and these mine owners, okay, let's not forget, it wasn't that long ago when Ludlow occurred and the massacre down there, and that was from Roosevelt, a mine owner that was not in Colorado. So what do we have? We have uh, owners that are probably not part of Coloradoans. Again, it's a is-it-in-your-backyard kind of issue. So when we look at our elected officials here as, that are representing the citizens of Colorado, where are they going to to step forward and get the get these individuals that uh, that are responsible for this wastewater and like uh, Pat, Patricia said, over a hundred mines that are out there that are yet to be uh, broken into or have accidents occur, like Mike was saying, uh, that are going to happen in our backyard and it's going to affect uh, not just a single portion of Coloradoans but uh, a large majority of Coloradoans. Mm -hmm. In an interview with Colorado Public Radio this week, Governor John Hickluper said that this was not the right time to consider repealing the death penalty in Colorado. 
The conversation about capital punishment continues after two high-profile defendants were recently sentenced to life in prison. Mike, everyone's been talking about we have to have a conversation about this, conversation about this, but it doesn't sound like, at least right now, that the governor is going to be leading the conversation, especially if he's coming up with this statement that it's not the right time to repeal it. That's not the only part of the conversation, but right. are you sensing it going anywhere? There, you know what? There's very rarely a right time uh, for a lot of people to talk about the death penalty. And it's interesting that, two, remember, two legislative sessions ago, a Democrat-controlled Democrat committee killed a Democrat-sponsored death penalty repeal bill. Uh, and at the time, and I believe at the time, Hickenlooper was fairly agnostic as to whether it landed on his desk or not. Uh, but they killed it because of the optics at the moment, because the theater shooting had happened. There was no, there was no verdict. There was no trial yet. Uh, and so they were concerned about the politics of the death penalty. This is not, and despite the fact that two juries have turned down the death penalty, it's not that difficult for one person on a jury to, to shut it down. I said, that said, the reason that that was a bill and not a, uh, a ballot measure was because the proponents of repealing the death penalty know that will not pass. And so this is not a good piece of politics, certainly not for the governor or for his party. Uh, so there's never going to be a good time politically to talk about this, although I think that the proponents are passionate enough that they're going to keep forcing the conversation. I think George Brockler is going to have a very good, some very good talking points that, by gosh, I tried. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know what? A lot of people, you know, if you, if you talk to the Aurora Sentinel reporters, who covered this, uh, the majority of their readers seem to uh, uh, want the death penalty in that case. So I don't see it as a, talking about repealing death penalty is not a winner, certainly not for the Democrats at the moment. And the, how we handle capital punishment in Colorado has been tweaked with before. And I remember we went to a, a three-judge panel for a while, and that was ruled unconstitutional, so we went back to the jury system. And the way we have a unanimous decision required is a Colorado thing. It's not necessarily a federal thing. Do you think, if not a full repeal, is there uh, an appetite out there to at least do some tweaking to how we approach the issue? I don't think so. I mean, because I don't know where the tweaking would go right now. I mean, it's not as if, especially because we have a three-step process right now in, in in, in putting a death penalty on somebody. So I don't think you can really make it harder in this state. I mean, I think if anything, you're going to see people saying, maybe we should cut one of these three steps out of the process. Maybe we should make it easier. Maybe we should, and I don't think this would fly, but maybe there'll be suggestions we go to a 9-3 verdict instead of a unanimous verdict. Um, all in all, though, I, I just, I agree with Mike that I, I don't, I don't know that there's a huge appetite to do this right now. And, and I said this a couple weeks ago on the show. It's especially a, a tough topic at the legislature because Democrats would lead the charge on this. But one of the Democratic representatives, Rhonda Fields, uh, her son was killed by somebody who is sitting on death row right now. So do you really want to try to overrule something that matters so personally to a fellow member of your party? Um, that said, if we're not going to talk about it now, when are we going to talk about it? I mean, I, I mean, seriously. I, I, you know, uh, there are some things, some statements that were made after the Holmes trial that uh, uh, that seemed to be very political. But one of them that came out was, look, if Holmes doesn't get the death penalty, who is going to get the death penalty? Um, you know, th this this is the time to say, okay, has this outlasted its usefulness? Um, but boy, I, I just don't sense, especially going into an election year, that there's a lot of appetite to do that. Miguel, everyone talks about having the conversation, yet no one's stepping up. Should someone step up, or is this a sign that really we should move on? Well, it appears to really 
come in when, one, there's a case that, uh, that folks are paying attention to. Uh, usually we get national-wide coverage, and then folks start talking about it. Other than that, it'll become a political issue where folks are just using it or someone's using it to get votes or whatnot. I come back to where, what are we going to realize that, uh, as Ed had mentioned, you know, you have a uh, gentleman that went into a, a movie theater with the specific uh, intention to murder people um, and, and to just point out there is still the only ones on black row are African-American. Wait, so so on death row. On so death row. Like uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. And I made a mistake in the last one. It was a... Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. Anyway, uh, so when it comes to those that are on death row, are we? Are, is it coming back to? Is it a color issue? Is it where the NCAA, you know, uh, NCAA uh, needs to get involved, mm -hmm. or or who's going to initiate that? We need to look at those that are on death row. Um, I had a gentleman on my show uh, that was served 32 years on death row and was found uh, innocent, and was uh, was released. So. That's a good question. Uh, is it, is it, does it need to come from a, a color background, or should it come from uh, those that are being convicted, and why? Yeah, lots of issues. Pat, wrap it up for us. Well, it makes more sense to have a conversation about it now. Maybe not a ballot measure, but the conversation we keep talking about having, rather than waiting for something more horrific to happen that, that you know, might finally get someone a, a death sentence. So it's a conversation that should happen in Colorado. It's not that hard. Maybe the religious leaders can lead it. Maybe some of the other people who aren't running for an office but care about this issue can do it. Certainly if Brockler does run, we will be talking about the death penalty. The Denver Zoo plans to move forward with its plans for a waste conversion plant to convert animal waste into energy, despite complaints about potential pollution and lack of testing. And of course, as always, when it comes to talking about a load of crap, you can count on Colorado Inside Out. Ed, there's your intro. You, you take it from here. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a number of great things about this story. First of all, that we are all sitting around the table talking about elephant dung. Um, <laughs> but second, it, it, this is one of those great examples of strange bedfellows cropping up. Here you have the fight against elephant waste conversion plant. I've got to get that to feel natural coming out of my mouth. An elephant waste conversion plant being led by the neighbors of the zoo and by the Sierra Club. Now let's remember that the power that the elephant waste would replace is now coming from a coal-fired plant. So here's the Sierra Club saying, no, 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 we want you to keep coal-fired power, not this experimental new, really renewable energy source. Look, the fact is probably there is going to be a lot of things done over the next 10 to 15 years with renewable energy sources that some of us haven't even thought of yet. We're seeing it in biomass. We're seeing it other ways. The idea of starting something like this is just common sense. If you can get rid of elephant waste this way and make it useful to, uh, to the community, and I say the community in general because you're cutting down power bills for the number one tourist attraction in all of Denver right here, I think it's a great idea. And, um, you know, I, I know people are going to have concerns, but things have got to start somewhere. So I'll be curious to see if those concerns override uh, the potential good this can do. Miguel, it's not like the zoo is a smelting plant here, but it, it, it's, a, it's a zoo. It's a big zoo. It probably already has its own, uh, I, I guess, uh, you can say aroma. Now this might add to it or, to, or, or detract from it. But uh, do you think the neighborhood has a point, or do we just need to be moving on with these better ideas for energy? 
Well, the neighborhood is going to have a concern because it is in their backyard, and they are worried about what kind of uh, things are going to be produced in the air, in the, in the, in the elements and the particles. But uh, again, you know, when we look at the zoo, we know financially they've, they've gone into, you know, they've hit some numbers that they, know, they aren't seeing the record numbers they used to see, even though it is, I, in my opinion, one of the best zoos in the nation. So for them to find an alternative way to produce power that is going to go back into uh, the zoo, I, I see that the neighborhood, in, in the zoo has always been conscious about how their animals are treated during the winter weather, uh, during the change of seasons that we have here in Colorado. So when it comes to, and their zookeepers are trained very well. So I don't see them really wanting to do harm that's going to affect the neighborhood when it's always been wanting to being more inclusive and inviting the neighborhood to a, to a welcome park. Patty, what do you think? I mean, is, was this going to be the case anytime something new was going to pop up at the Denver Zoo, or uh, is, is there a real issue here? Well, there are several real issues involving the parks and the zoo and this neighborhood. Sure. Let's not forget that it wasn't long ago that the zoo wanted to gobble up more of City Park, and that's one of the reasons these neighbors are very, very active in fighting this and raising a stink, not just over this plant, but they're concerned about everything the zoo does. The other thing is this neighborhood group that's been very powerful is also going to be keeping a very close eye on the new head of parks, Happy Haynes, who was just, um, who was just appointed by Michael Hancock, very able public servant, but interestingly wants to keep her job, um, wants to continue to be on the Denver School Board. And it wasn't long ago that everyone was very upset about the trade with some parkland in Denver to, for a school. So this issue is going to stink much more before we're done. It's not going to be just a big pile of elephant poo that we're talking about. There's a lot more involved here. Mike, it is your pleasure to wrap this up for us. You know, uh, and as long as we're using bad puns, I, I have to tell you that, that, that in many ways this is just a, a steaming pile of green fantasy, uh, that the idea that the, what the zoo really wants to do is replace cheap, affordable, and uh, reliable energy source, coal-fired power plant, with an experimental uh, plant that's going to uh, depend on somebody scooping up uh, after elephants. Uh, not the worst place to experiment with this, the city zoo, because they're a nonprofit and a lot of their money comes uh, from people being extracted from people who, uh, who don't even, can't even afford a, a, a day at the zoo uh, through the, uh, uh, the cultural facilities tax. Uh, so if this doesn't work, it's no skin off the zoo's teeth, of course. That said, I think that uh, it would be fascinating if the zoo could pull this off because I think it would be uh, fairly groundbreaking. And uh, we've actually seen some cities experimenting with trying to do the same thing in their city parks using dog waste to run the lights of the park. And if you could ever pull this off, if you could ever get to the point where the market said, yeah, this is an effective way to, to do two things. One is to generate some small amount of electricity to do some specific task like city park lights. Uh, and get rid of uh, animal waste, uh, I think it would be a pretty cool thing. In fact, I'd like to do it because I have two dogs in my backyard, <laughs> and I would like nothing more than to be able to run my microwave oven uh, two hours a day off the waste from my two dogs. <laughs> well, we'll keep dreaming of that day sometime. Well, now it is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, start us off. Well, let me just say it's too bad we can't run the Channel 12 studio with all the crap that we let loose at this table. And I'm going to get into another kind of crappy deal right now. Yes, we all know the Denver Broncos season is about to start. And if you didn't know it, you will when your Denver Post hits your front doorstep because there's a 76-page Denver Broncos celebration in it. And if you read the fine print in the ad, if you subscribe, and it's a number that is shrinking, to the Denver Post, 
the cost of that supplement will be billed against your home subscription. $3 will be taken off your subscription unless you call right away and say you don't want it. So Post subscribers, if you don't want $3 cut off your subscription, call the Post now. Mike. It almost sounds like the Denver Post is desperate for money. It's a, it's a bizarre thing. Uh, I have to, uh, my disgrace of the week is for, uh, uh, Laramie, Laramie County District Judge Julie Fields, who recently ruled that the Thompson School Board has to honor an expired union contract with the Thompson Education Association because they didn't, uh, they didn't approve a new contract. Uh, this is the first time in the history of Colorado that a judge has denied local control to a school board, which is guaranteed in our Constitution. Uh, Judge Fields' rationale was, I, I know I can't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and so it's uh, pretty, not just outrageous, it's pretty disgraceful that uh, a judge basically told a Colorado elected school board uh, that they cannot reject a collective bargaining agreement. Hmm. Ed. The U.S. gives $13.4 million in aid each year to the country of Azerbaijan. I mention this because the Azerbaijan court system recently sentenced an investigative journalist over there to seven and a half years in prison for the crime of deigning to look into the finances of that country's dictator. The U.S. needs to look into the human rights abuses of some of these countries that we are helping to fund. Miguel. Well, I'm going to bring this home, and I mean that literally. <laughs> you know, with the shooting that happened this past Sunday down in Lower Downtown, and I live on 18th and Larimer, and the fact that uh, we have such a large community uh, that come down to Lower Downtown to enjoy themselves, and we, we, we like that, and it is a community, uh, to, to look at our community in that way and just randomly start shooting out there and left and right without any care or concern, that's in my backyard, literally. And so it is a disgrace for, uh, for our, for our, our visitors of Lower Downtown to not uh, value that it's there for tomorrow, too. It's not the Old West. See you the next about somebody. Patty. You know, all the viewers of this show who come up to us and thank us and yell at us, but <laughs> it's a great audience, and I want to also thank my parents who are watching and just celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary. That is fantastic. I will add congratulations there to two of my very favorite people. Mike. Uh, as it is the anniversary of September 11th, I'm going to go ahead and say something nice about the, the idea of people who run into burning buildings or into explosions or into natural disasters while everyone else is fleeing. Uh, some people do it simply because uh, it's a rush, but a lot of people do it out of a, a real sense of uh, honor and uh, community. And mm -hmm. so to one of the largest first responder operations in the history of this country, bravo. Ed. I want to give a shout-out to Infinite Monkey Theorem, a Denver winery that I reported this week is going to be opening the first out-of-state facility for Colorado winery when it opens up a satellite location in Texas next month. Yeah, this is a nice little feather in the cap, but it's also a great economic boost for a wine industry that's not known nationally and could be a big help to tourism here as well. Miguel. And uh, along with Mike, uh, giving value and respect for those that were lost in the first responders, I'd like to uh, give a good shout-out for those that are in Aurora that got together to acknowledge uh, and surround the police department at, at their headquarters after those uh, awful threats, and then the, the religious leaders that came together to do the same. So kudos to that uh, community. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Remember that you can catch any part of the show or CIO postgame online, and be sure to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night.